The information presented in this podcast is of a general nature and is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only. It should never be used as a substitute for mental care, medical care, or for prevention, diagnosis, or treatment of any other illness. Always consult with a mental health or healthcare professional before engaging in any activities promoted in this podcast. Have you ever wanted to be a superhero? Join clinical psychologist Dr. Janina Scarlett and host Dustin McGinnis as they explore the psychology behind your favorite TV shows, movies, books, comics, video games, and more. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. I am your host, Dustin McGinnis. I am a musician, filmmaker, and all-around fanboy. And I am Dr. Janina Scarlett. I'm a clinical psychologist, author, and a full-time geek. Today we're going to be discussing the crimes of Grindelwald. If you have not seen it, we will be discussing spoilers, so please apparate at this moment. I'm serious. Apparate if you haven't seen the movie. Are you serious? No. Serious is in the other movie. Harry Potter. Yes. It seems in this movie that manipulation is a core theme. Whether it's Grindelwald or the Ministry of Magic, what can be said of the manipulation of power and the power of manipulation? But it seems like both Grindelwald and the Ministry of Magic use fear as a tactic to get people to do what they want. Grindelwald especially, at his rally, he shows pictures from what looks like events from the upcoming World War II in order to get the rally attendees to be scared enough to join his cause. That's very much what some politicians do in order to polarize their supporters. By trying to make their opponents look like the bad guy, the rally attendees might inadvertently then join that leader's cause because they're terrified. Grindelwald is actually really interesting because for multiple people that he's trying to recruit, he might tell them exactly what they need to hear, almost like some kind of a wicked mirror of Erised. He knows exactly what different witches and wizards need and want, like what Queenie wants, what Credence wants, and he tells them that the only way they can get that is by joining his cause. He is able to use people's own emotions in order to twist them and change their desires in order to make people believe in him and become his followers. Similarly, the Ministry of Magic, the British Ministry of Magic, uses intimidation and threat tactics to try to get Newt to join them in finding credence. Yeah, the all-knowing skull thing that he had perpetuating these future fears, that was very interesting to me how he had that power. As the movie suggests, it's very easy to fall prey to someone like Grindelwald who has this villainous charisma. Are there signs that can help eliminate the chances of being seduced in this way by someone like that? First of all, noticing when our emotions are being riled up too strongly. I think in the current political climate, we're starting to see that quite a bit. When we're noticing quite a bit of propaganda, when we're seeing events that are completely black and white, like there's no gray area, then it becomes sometimes a little bit suspicious. And and sometimes doing our own research can be helpful to find out whether we're reading or learning correct information or not. Back in the Harry Potter series, we knew that a number of newspapers in the magical community were publishing propaganda and and correct news. That passed 
pesky daily profit. (laughs) That's right. And we're seeing a lot of that today as well. I think that it's helpful for people to do their own research, to find out what's really happening, to be able to decide right from wrong on their own, to talk to other people and to investigate the actual history. Because people who actually knew Grindelwald, people who knew the kind of things that he had done, were probably less likely to join him, except for the people who were completely smitten with his power, as uh, Albernathy was, it looks like. I think sometimes when we're talking to people who are manipulative, we might even sense it in our gut that something feels off. And I think sometimes we deny our gut feeling, but a lot of times our gut feeling tends to be right. So I think being able to listen to our own intuition that something might feel too good to be true, too strong to be true, can be really helpful and taking some time to reflect on what's going on before committing to a cause, to before committing to a certain belief can be really helpful. So a good rule of thumb in something like that is if it challenges your moral fortitude, it's probably a wise decision to avoid it. So we were just discussing personal desires and fear and how they can be powerful weapons for someone who has an agenda. We see this in the corruption of the sweet character of Queenie. It's so hard for me to believe such an empathic and caring character can take such a 180 degree opposite stance. What do you think this movie is suggesting with a change in her character this conflicting? I'm glad you brought up this question. Queenie's actually my favorite character because she's an empath and I'm an empath and I strongly identify with her. There were certain actions that she took in this movie that um, I was initially surprised by. So for example, in the very beginning of the film, we learned that Queenie has actually been supplying Jacob with a love potion. It looks like she was spicing his, I don't know, food or drink with Amarantia. And it looks like she was using magic to get him to agree to marry her. Now, in watching this as an outside observer, it reminded me of some individuals, might be going through individuals who are LGBT, for example, or individuals of different ethnic or religious backgrounds might be going through. And unfortunately, we see this a lot where due to outdated beliefs, we see society or government or family members who might not be understanding about people wanting to marry someone they love just because they happen to not agree with that individual's preference or cultural background. To this day, we see people who are being disowned by family members or wanting to be with someone of the same sex or different religion, for example. By the time we see Queenie and Jacob in the beginning of Crimes of Grindelwald movie, they've already been rejected by Queenie's sister, Tina. And we know that the American uh, Ministry of Magic, the Makusa, is not accepting of witches and nomads or muggles, as they'd be called in the UK, marrying. And as a result of that, uh, Queenie could actually be severely punished or jailed. And this broke my heart seeing this because this very much reminds me of what a lot of people go through nowadays, fearing some kind of legal or societal consequences just for wanting to be with a person they love. Jacob, out of his love for Queenie, seems to want to cool things off in order to protect her. And understandably, Queenie wants to fight for their relationship. 
I don't agree with her choice of spiking him and, and making him do things against his will, of course. And at the same time, I thought it was really sweet that when Newt removed the enchantment, that Jacob said that she doesn't have to put magic on him to get him to marry her. It's just that he was worried about her safety. It seems that Queenie was feeling desperate and just wanting to defy the odds in order to be with the person that she loves. And it seems like when she met Grindelwald, him stating that people should be allowed to marry whomever they want was something that was really empowering for her. My brothers, my sisters, it is said that I hate the no magic. I do not hate them. I do not. For I do not fight out of hatred. Magic blooms only in rare souls. And I'm wondering if she joined his cause because she was trying to fight for her relationship or for several other reasons. So one thought I had when watching this movie is I thought maybe Queenie is under the Imperious Curse. We've seen a number of people being under the Imperious Curse in this film as well as in the Harry Potter films. And seeing the way that Queenie left Jacob and was walking toward Grindelwald almost as if enchanted somehow made me wonder if she was under the Imperious Curse. It would make sense for Grindelwald to use any means necessary to get Queenie to join his side because she's an extremely powerful weapon. As an empath, Queenie is able to help Grindelwald understand what his followers are feeling and thinking just as she helps him understand what Credence is going through at the end of the movie. Another fan theory or another thought I had is perhaps Queenie is becoming a double agent, kind of like what Snape was in Harry Potter. I'm wondering if a part of her joining Grindelwald's cause is to get close enough to him so that she can learn of his motives so that she can better protect the people that she loves. Although I'm not really sure what exactly is happening if her joining Grindelwald is a fight for her love or a way of protecting people she loves or her being under the imperious curse. I know that J.K. Rowling knows what she's doing. This is the second movie of five and I think if history has showed us anything is that J.K. Rowling knows how to deliver really good stories and I trust her and I know that this all our questions will be answered and I know that the story is just developing. I'm very excited to see what happens next. I, too, trust J.K. Rowling. She's an amazing storyteller. This was a little hard for me, this scenario, but you bring it up, the Imperious Curse, that does make it all better for me because it would, it would make a sense. And it actually does because there was a lot of time that they spent in that room alone. We don't know how long that was or what happened in that room after she was confronted. And she was acting kind of weird, and Jacob even said, snap out of it. So that's interesting. That's an interesting thought. We often discuss Harry Potter and the correlation between monsters and mental health disorders in this universe. Can you discuss the properties of the Obscurus and how it corresponds to mental health? Sure. It seems that Obscurus is, at least to me, just in observing it, I took it as a powerful metaphor for suppression, for emotion suppression, for example. Of course, I, I can't talk to J.K. Rowling's intentions for this, but as a psychologist, 
to me it seems like something that can be representative of what happens when we try to suppress powerful emotions. We know that when we try to suppress anger or grief or fear, then these emotions come out in other ways somehow. So for example, people who repress their grief for extended periods of time are likely to develop panic attacks down the line. And so a lot of times intense emotions or even sometimes physical illnesses can be a result of unprocessed emotions or traumas or grief processes. So it seems that when we're unable to express our magic selves in a way, then the consequences can be dire. We can in one way or another explode. So we know that when we're unable to express our frustration with something or someone or uh, process it in a helpful way, then we're likely to lash out at someone else, for example, or at ourselves. And that's very much what we're seeing with the Obscurus. We're seeing that it can develop when people are suppressing their magical potential. And personally, I believe that emotions are what makes us magical. And if we're trying to suppress them, I do believe that the consequences will be dire. He's very powerful. And the Obscurus is very powerful. And he's repressed things for so long. And it's very interesting that when he received the wand, he blew up the side of the mountain. I mean, that's super powerful. I didn't realize that Obscurus could actually perform magic too because I thought their whole power was the fact that they repressed it and they became this monster. Well, Obscurus is actually a parasite that latches onto a magical being. So Credence is a wizard. He's someone that had never gotten a chance to practice magic. Because he became an Obscurial, he had been able to taunt people and even kill people and fly and things like that. But he is a wizard, he's a Dumbledore, as we learn, and it makes sense that he's incredibly powerful. I imagine that Ariana Dumbledore was extremely powerful as well, and the fan theory is that she became an Obscurial as well because her magic was suppressed, because she was tormented about being a witch. And if we know anything about Dralbo's Dumbledore, we know that Dumbledores tend to be very powerful magical beings. So it makes sense that if Credence is indeed a Dumbledore, which, you know, I think we have to wait to fully confirm, but it does seem as though he's a Dumbledore, then it makes sense that he's going to be really powerful. And I wonder if him being an Obscurial makes him an even more powerful wizard. Another new monster... Oh, I want to call it a monster. I don't know. It could be a parasite too. Is the Maledictus and Nagini. Um, and a Maledictus is someone with a blood curse that will eventually turn into the creature they change into. Like in her case, she will permanently change into a snake. Do you have any thoughts on this and maybe a correlation with mental health? With Nagini, it doesn't seem like it's a parasite. It seems like it's a disease, right? It's some kind of a blood illness. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there was almost maybe a parallel with either physiological illnesses or certain other illnesses, like for example, someone that has an incurable disease like AIDS, who's actually suffering a great deal and society might reject or might see as some kind of a monster, but that person is actually suffering from this incurable illness that will overtake them eventually. Another thought I had is perhaps it's an indication of Alzheimer's or, you know, another disease that is incurable and will become permanent for the individual. And 
how sometimes misunderstanding of the individual's suffering can lead to us treating them as an animal, as a creature, as the other. I had a lot of compassion for Nagini. I wish that she had more lines. I know her character was not very developed. Uh, her, her character was was not fully developed here. I agree. So her it was interesting learning Nagini's backstory. I'm curious to see how such a sweet girl then becomes Voldemort's friend or assistant. I know she's sometimes referred to as Voldemort's servant, but I don't see her as such. I think Voldemort really cared about her. He made her a horcrux. I mean, that's got to He made her a horcrux. Yeah, exactly. He made her a horcrux. And a part of me wonders if Nagini and Voldemort were ever romantically involved, but we may never know that. But I would like to see Nagini's character being explored more in the following films. In, in watching this film, it made me wonder how often we as individuals might reject another person because of a physical deformity or some kind of an illness that they might be going through that to the outside world might seem different and still does not take away from that individual's humanity. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way she appeared in the movie, it was almost like she was an obscurist. And I mean that in the fact that she was obscured in the shadows of Credence the whole time. She was just in the background doing nothing. I agree. <laughs> I agree. I, I wish that her character was developed more in this film. I wish she had more spoken lines because I think it's a powerful character. And I don't want her to become just Credence's uh, sidekick. It seems like now that Credence has joined Grindelwald, and Nagini has stayed, I wonder whose side she will end up joining. Will she follow Credence, the one person whom she was close to, or will she join the Ministry of Magic? I'm actually interested in that because now she's on her own and she's not a shadow. Another interesting character is Lita Lestrange. Lita Lestrange and Dumbledore have a very interesting relationship. It seems they find this connection in their loss and their grief. What I want to know is, what do connections like this represent as a whole? It seems that her whole life, Lita has blamed herself for her brother's death. It seems that when she switched the two babies on the boat, she had no intention of hurting her brother. She just wanted to get some sleep and be away from a crying baby. When the boat went down, she didn't realize that that would mean that her brother would die. Her whole life, she was devastated and feeling extremely guilty about what happened. Unfortunately, what that also led to is her being ostracized when she was at Hogwarts, where because of her depression, because of her grief that she was going through, a lot of other students were picking on her, which resulted in her um, sometimes being aggressive and even cursing her classmates. And I think most people thought her to be a monster. Dumbledore was the one person that didn't see her as a monster, and Newt was the other. And I think it was Newt's compassion and Dumbledore's compassion that allowed her to feel more human. Lita even tells Newt at one point, you never met a monster you couldn't love. And it's true that from the moment he met her, Newt had been nothing but compassionate to her. However, Lita, her entire life, still always felt as a monster. And when she's reunited with Dumbledore as an adult, she challenges him, I think expecting him to reject her because her whole life she believed that he didn't like her, that he hated her. And when he doesn't act the way she expects him to, initially she gets even more angry. She's perhaps starting to feel ashamed about her actions, I don't fully know. 
But what I really appreciated was that moment that they shared where Lita was trying to challenge Dumbledore and she said, unless you lost a brother, you could never know. And he tells her that he lost his sister. So in order for him to connect to her, he actually has to relate to his own deep emotional wound. And that's how compassion happens. In order for us to be fully present with someone else, we have to connect with that dark, painful part of ourselves so that we can empathize. Even if we didn't share the exact same experience, we can understand hurt because of our own hurt, because of our own pain that we have gone through. And it is because of his courage to do so that Dumbledore is able to have this very powerful moment with Lita. And I think that it may have even been healing for her because it inspired her to come forward and to admit to what she had done in terms of switching her brother with another child, which she was able to talk about later on. You were just talking about connecting with your pain and dark moments and things like that. And there's a scene with the Mirror of Error said and Dumbledore. The Mirror of Error said is said to display our innermost desires. Why do you think Dumbledore sees the blood packed vial when you're actually expecting him to see more of Grindelwald? I was wondering about that as well. And we know that in the first Harry Potter film, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, or Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, we see Harry looking in the mirror of Erised and finding the Philosopher's Stone. He didn't necessarily want to possess it, but he wanted to find it just so that Voldemort or Quirrell wouldn't have it. A part of me was wondering if perhaps Dumbledore was very badly wanting to get back the blood packed vial so that he would be able to protect the world against Grindelwald. But we also see a moment where the two of them hold hands. And a part of me wonders if he still misses that closeness of their relationship. I think Dumbledore's true feelings are probably going to be really difficult for us to understand at this point. I do hope at some point J.K. Rowling writes uh, not just screenplays but books of Fantastic Beasts because I think that if we can understand different characters' mental and emotional state, we can have a fuller story. Some fans are saying that they're really disappointed with this film because it left so many questions unanswered, had so much information just shot at you really fast. How do you feel about it? I read the books and saw the movies, and I, I can imagine someone only seeing Harry Potter films without reading the books, and it would also leave a lot of questions unanswered. If somebody, for example, saw Harry Potter and Order of the Phoenix and had not read the book, they would have a lot of questions left unanswered. Unfortunately, there are no books for Fantastic Beasts other than the screenplays, and there's the, the short textbook fantastic beasts and where to find them so it's hard for us to know all the characters intentions and where the story is going and at the same time i believe that this is movie two of five so far that we're supposed to have given what we know about jk rowling's storytelling i think that she's just setting the ground for what's about to come in the next three films i think this film was establishing this world and the war that's going to happen and what some of the characters are going through so that we can see how it will all come together in the end. So as I mentioned earlier, I trust J.K. Rowling. I want to get it on a t-shirt. And I do believe that all our questions will be answered throughout the next few films. We're now getting into the meat of the story and everything gets darker and more intricate. Whatever you think you know at the end of the movie might not be the case.
You just mentioned that this is movie two of five. I'm just curious, what do you hope to see in these future films that are coming? Definitely an exploration of the different characters. I want to see how Nagini went from such a sweet woman to someone who ends up joining Voldemort. I'd like to see a connection with little Voldemort somewhere in the end there. I'd love to understand Queenie's intentions and Dumbledore's plan. I'd love to understand this world and what different people are fighting for. I think we have some amazing movies to look forward to, and I'm very excited to see what's to come. Well, just like in the books, when Dumbledore said, I trust Snape, he's my man, we definitely trust J.K. Rowling. She's our woman. So I'm going to go ahead and end this episode of Superhero Therapy with Dr. Janina Scarlett. Again, my name is Dustin. You can find me on Twitter at The Valiant Geek. I'm Dr. Janina Scarlett. You can find me under at Shadow Quill on Twitter or under Superhero Therapy everywhere else. Thank you all for tuning in and please take care out there. Have a magical evening.